welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up. It's working. Time for a retro perspective. Welcome to Retro Perspective, the show on the Nerd Party, where we take a look at all of the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. And I may not be a smart man, but I know what podcasting is. (laughs) Yeah. And we're going to be taking a look at the movies released uh, on the week of July 8th, 1994. Uh, actually, it starts on July 6th. We had a Wednesday opening. Yes, yes. And that Wednesday opening would go on to win Best Picture of 1994. And uh, had a, a whopping 72% positive on Rotten Tomatoes and mm-hmm. uh, made $48 million. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. movie is Forrest Gump. Yeah, you forgot that it also spurred a uh, restaurant chain that you can uh, dine at Universal Studios in Orlando. Oh, yeah, they have places. one of those at Navy Pier. I walk by it all the mm-hmm. time and have mm-hmm. never been inside. Uh, I have never been inside either. I find it fascinating because the cultural, refl- uh, cultural reference is uh, getting to the point where my kids had no idea. You know, the first time we walked by, I was like, oh, Bubba Gump. And you know my kids were like, "What? Yeah. Oh, yeah." But at the but by the same token, when we walk through Universal Studios, uh, and you know I'm like, "Oh, Jenko Olive Oil." My kids also say, "What?" So you know they're still catching up. I'm guessing your kids probably haven't seen The Godfather yet, right? Not yet, not yet. However, I have used uh, descriptions of the mafia to explain how governments work. Well, that's so. that's cool. Um, yeah, no, I, we, we have a, a Lou Malnati's in town. That's like one of the mm-hmm. big pizza places here. And uh, not, not as good as everyone says it is, but whatever, it's fine. And on the back of the building where you go in to have like the pickup window and stuff like that, they mm-hmm. have like a giant Genco olive oil, oil sign painted. Just kind of I love a, it. a weird reference, but yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, un- unless they're trying to, sit, you know, it's like uh, blinking SOS in a hostage video. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> please help us. We're run by the mob. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, Forrest Gump. Uh, when did you first see this movie? In the theaters. Yeah. Saw it in the theaters. I- I'm pretty sure I saw it more than once. My my opinion, like, in all seriousness, my my statements about the movie won't add anything to the conversation. Uh, because you know, I'm one of the I'm one of the people who's the reason that this movie is still beloved, in the sense that I'm one of the people that still loves it. I did rewatch it this week, and I loved it the first time I saw it, and I loved it when I just watched it. It was the first time I'd watched it in years, and I I loved it this time too. So, yeah, I saw this movie in the theater as well, dragged kicking and screaming because I. I don't know what the deal was exactly, but for some reason, my mom dropped off my younger cousin and I at the mall. 
And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is cool because I liked the mall. There was a bookstore there. There was a cool toy store there. I enjoyed going to the mall. I still enjoy going to the mall. That's sure. one of my things. And I had zero interest in this movie, but my cousin wanted to see it. So my mom's like, you got to go. And <laughs> and uh, we went and I actually enjoyed the movie uh, mm-hmm. when I saw it. I thought it was good. And then it won all those Oscars and everything. And then it came out on Laserdisc. We were just talking last week how I had just gotten that, that Laserdisc player and, you know, right. rented the shadow. Yeah. Well, one of the, the next movies that I rented was Forrest Gump because I liked it. And I remember I was like hanging out at a comic book store with some guys who worked there who would become my friends and one in particular who would sort of influence my taste in movies for the rest of my life. You know, because mm-hmm. he was the one who would show me things like aliens and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I remember saying like, oh, I got Forrest Gump on Laserdisc. I rented it. And he's like, I didn't watch that crap. And I'm like, what? Why would you, you know, say that? It won the best picture. And he's like, "Why? what does that mean? What does that mean? And I'm like, well, I guess I don't really know. And then he watched it, and he's like, that was terrible and everything. And I'm like, you're just being you, you know? And uh, that was it. I I hadn't seen it. I didn't see it again for like a year. And then like a year later, I'm like, let me revisit this with fresh eyes and see whether or not it's good. And I watched Mm -hmm. it, and I'm like, yeah, this isn't good. I didn't like epically hate it, but I saw the flaws. And I put it off to the side for like 20 two years i guess mm-hmm. and it was playing in theaters it was playing we there's a local film critic who does like a monthly series and he shows like classic movies and i'm like here's my chance i love robert zemeckis now is my chance to see this without any influence without you know people saying that it's the number one hit at the box office or the best picture of the year or the worst picture of the year or anything i can just watch it on my own and i watched mm-hmm. it and I'm like, yeah, this movie's not good. This movie's mm. not good at all. Mm. And I thought that would be the end of it. And then we started doing this podcast. And I'm like, <laughs> damn, I'm going to have to watch this movie again. And mm-hmm. they were showing it in theaters. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to watch this movie again, might as well see it on the big screen. And I went to see it. And it was me, my wife, and five other people in the theater. And uh, I didn't like it. My wife is like, how could you not like that movie? She's like crying throughout it and everything. I'm like, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I find it so strange for so many reasons, not just quality, but like subject matter and everything, that Robert Zemeckis would make this movie and Contact back to back. Mm -hmm. That is crazy. And contact is way I, better. Contact is a masterpiece. Anyway. I, I I would not agree with that statement. Um, obviously, I, I've already tipped my hand here that I love uh, Forrest Gump, and I do think it works extremely well. I think it works um, extremely well for a number of reasons. Again, I I don't know how to add anything to the conversation without somebody saying, "Oh, that's just what everybody else." You you know, like. I'm, I'm, you know, if you, if you talk about that Rotten Tomatoes score, I'm solidly in that 72%. I, 
I'm not like somebody where it's like simply because it's a binary thumbs up, thumbs down thing. I'm the person that's like mashing the button about how much I love Forrest Gump. Now, whenever you discuss Forrest Gump and that best picture, because we got coming up down the line, you know, we know Pulp Fiction is coming. We know Shawshank Redemption is coming. We didn't know how good those movies were going to be when we saw Forrest Gump. So I, I readily, readily uh, admit that the whole like 94 is a special year because there are so many films where you could make an easy argument that they deserved best picture. And I think that there is absolutely no denying the fact that uh, this movie resonated with baby boomers in a way that didn't even necessarily resonate with me or you. Right. Because there are there are specific historical moments that the movie goes through that that generation is going to, uh, you know, respond to in a different fashion. But I think that this is a marvelously constructed film for a number of reasons, not the least of which that you have a tremendous parallel story arc with Forrest and Jenny and they're both people who run one who runs to and one who runs from and neither one is ever presented as being um, a bad person for their, their choices. It's simply choices that they made and the ultimate point of the film is so beautifully made when he's, you know, spoilers. If you haven't seen Forrest Gump, I, I, I don't, after 25 years, I don't feel, uh, responsibility to you know necessarily hold back but at the end when he's at her grave and he says you know some people think that everybody talks about destiny throughout the movie Forrest's mom Lieutenant Dan everybody says it was my destiny to do this it was my destiny to do that and he says some people say it's destiny some people think you're just floating along I think it's a mix of both and it is a beautifully communicated work like the the entire film you know speaks to these points about how people find meaning sometimes in things that are just happenstance and sometimes the things that seem to be happenstance do have meaning you know when he goes running across the nation people fall in behind him because they're nobody would do this without there being a higher purpose what are you running for what are you doing I just feel like running. And so, you know, that that speaks to it. But at the same time, there is a meaning to his interactions with Jenny and with who he is as a person. And it's not that you're ever going to be able to put your finger on why you're there. You may never know until the end why you're there. But you're, you are there. You know, like it, it's, I think it's such a, an elegant, I think this is an elegant film that plays with Zemeckis's greatest strengths, which is talking about, you know, life and its nature and how it is just a mix of, you know, perception and chance and decision and all of these things mingling together in a much more complex way than we ever think. You know, like I, if I were to do a double feature because I've stolen that from you about, you know, double features and everything. 
if I had a Zemeckis double feature, it would be this and Flight. Because I think that they're flip sides of the same coin. Yeah, no, I mean, I would say that you are accurate in saying that. But at the same time, you know, I think that Flight is good in spite of that. And Forrest Gump is not good because of that. The idea of like destiny or or floating, I think either one is not something that I can relate to at all. And I think the idea of saying like maybe it's destiny, maybe it's floating, who cares? All that matters is that this happened sort of thing when compared to something like contact where it's like this is someone who is dedicating their life to one thing. And just because, in a sense, they're lucky, but they're lucky and they, you know, are, are devoting their life to something very, very specific, they're able to accomplish this thing which lasts a split second and nobody knows about, essentially. That's like kind of what it comes down to. And, you know, to say like, well, this guy just did whatever he was going to do. And in the course of history, he accidentally ended up doing everything, you know, and, mm. it, and, and it just kind of happened that way, like outside of everyone's control. That's weird. I, but see, I, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that read, um, because I, I think that there's, uh, just a, you know, there's an overall statement that even people who don't think that they're important, who don't understand how they're important are still important. And there's an additional thing with Forrest Gump that I particularly, uh, enjoy that that is a philosophy I definitely stand behind about the difference between intelligence and wisdom and that there is there is a bias against Forrest through the entire thing everybody thinks he's stupid everybody thinks he's dumb everybody thinks he can't but that doesn't mean that he can't also be wise that he can't also learn and you know, I, I like one of the most telling scenes, one of my favorite scenes in the entire film is when he's with Lieutenant Dan at that New Year's Eve, you know, quote unquote party back at Lieutenant Dan's place. And Lieutenant Dan is, you know, he's a broken man and everything like that. And he has a lot of anger at the world. But the second somebody calls Forrest stupid, he he flips out. And it's it's specifically because even though Lieutenant Dan is trapped in that morass, in that, that you know, spiritual, ethical, what, whatever you want to call it, that, that morass that he's in, he can still recognize that Forrest is a wise person who had, like, Forrest has something that Lieutenant Dan wants to have, which is that purity of spirit and that wisdom, and that it's not, going to be where lieutenant dan is looking for it and so and and, it, and they even have one of the funnier exchanges in the film you know have you found jesus for us i didn't know i was supposed to be looking for him right it's that's such an, an you know again elegant sort of uh exchange between these two people and that there's a you know and again i think the layer that speaks to the boomers specifically 
and there will be films that speak to our generations as well going forward, is that idea, you know, I think it's too easy to say healing, but that idea that this uh, this conflict between the different social strata, that there is a healing possible, that Forrest is one of those people that, you know, how many people grow older and they hold a grudge about how they saw the world change or things that happened in the world. And to Forrest, he doesn't assign those values. He doesn't condemn Jenny for bad decisions. He doesn't condemn anybody. To him, they're just decisions. And in the end, you know, that's what it is. Yeah. All right. Well, you know. I know, I know I'm not going to change your mind on it, and that's fine. I mean, obviously, Forrest Gump somehow has a lower Rotten Tomatoes aggregate than Thor Ragnarok, but hey, what do I know? <laughs> Thor Ragnarok is infinitely better than Don't, than don't even, no, Gump. Don't, come on. I mean, come, that's, there's come not, on. There, that's, that's not even that's the crazy. same ballpark. That but, is, you're right, they're not the same ballpark. Okay. It ain't even the same game. It's not the same ballpark, ain't the same league, ain't even the same sport, yeah. okay? Yeah. That, 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 yeah. That's a line from a good movie. Um, a great movie. It is. A great film that could have also won Best Picture that year. Yeah. And I, I don't, I mean, just to be clear, I don't think that Forrest Gump is epically bad. I think it's just like you were saying that you're, you know, 100% hardcore in the 72%. 100% in the 72%. I know. It sounds like something from that thing from Anchorman. Right. Right. 60% of the time it works 100% of the time. Yeah. I'm in the 28%, but I'm not going to get all upset over it. It's just one of those things where it's like, of course, when you're saying this is the best movie of a year that had movies like Pulp Fiction, Ed Wood, Shawshank Redemption, Clerks, all the other things, it's like, so, uh, no, no. It's, so so let, let me ask that question then. Mm-hmm. Because I think that that's, that's something I've encountered, especially as regards Forrest Gump over time. Do you think that the fact that it beat these other films and got such accolades and such, do you think that plays into your opinion about it at all? Does it, does it play into your opinion of the film that you look at it and you say, oh, well, it's no Pulp Fiction. It's no, Shaw- I don't know where you stand on Shawshank Redemption and just let's save that for later. But like... <laughs> You know, like, or, or you're like, that's no Clerks. Clerks obviously deserve the best picture of 1994 because I'm a crazy person. But like, y- you know what I'm saying? Like, do you think that plays into your opinion of Forrest Gump at all? Sure, it does. And I don't think it's fair. And I think that's the type of thing that you're always trying to fight against. But I mean, that is the thing. You know, I mean, it, through the nature of whatever, uh, a lot of my friends are not super duper enthused by filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson. And I have very mm-hmm. few friends who are, but like the, the 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 majority of the group that I hang out with, they couldn't care less about Paul Thomas Anderson. And the fact that I'm constantly saying that movies like Boogie Nights and Magnolia are the best of all time, they're going to come back super hard to the point that, you know, they're going to be like I'm not even going to watch The Master, you know, like that kind of thing. And it's like, if I were to just say, like, I like those movies, then there wouldn't be the resistance because there's that, you know, that mm-hmm. give and take that, you know, or clashing of, of the two mindsets. 
and you know the idea that someone is constantly talking up something that you don't think is all that great i mean you're going to kind of fight back against that that's just the way it works you know I mean, mm-hmm. I think we we in in some numerous conversations that we've had together. I mean, we've kind of talked about that with like Last Jedi, you know, and the fact that like mm-hmm. you don't hate the movie, right? But the fact that you've got people like me talking about how great it is, it it's going to influence your opinion to the point where you're kind of like, uh, you know, no, no, I I, I would say that uh, it doesn't simply because you're you're in a startling minority of people who think it's uh, like a five-star masterpiece. I don't so, think I am know. in a startling minority. I think that there's a really weird mm. split. Mm. I, I, yeah. I'm, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm drawing distinction between people who liked it just fine and people who think it's the greatest Star Wars film ever made. I'm, I'm drawing a distinction there. We're, we're, we're 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 delving into some weird territory but i mean i I think i've said this before but this is really how i see it playing out and it's it's interesting to me i find it super duper fascinating but star wars fans are ranged from that was good to i hated it but critics range from that was good to this is the best star wars movie ever you know, okay. there is a, de- yes. a definite. And, I mean, but but again, I don't. I, I see the thing is so so. Let's keep peeling that onion apart, right? I don't care that the critics say that. Like, I that's that is absolutely no metric to me. Specifically because one, critics in the modern era, it's basically bloggers by and large. It's not like we have an army of Eberts out there. Well. Right. And Ebert very well may have disagreed with me about it had he lived to see episode eight. And that's fine. I don't, you know, like I disagree with him about other films as well. Like he gave Bully four stars. And I think that movie is complete garbage. But like the, uh, you know, but I agreed with him about Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. So, there, you know, there, there's an up and down. But Ebert came from a specific school and a specific school of criticism. So, throwing the you know oh hey a consensus of critics you know adored it that doesn't even play into other things as well and it's like critics love you know i remember critics loving and i love using this example it's tired by this point okay but critics loved the english patient yeah and i think every single one of them should have their heads examined because that movie sucked no it was a good movie it was a good movie no it was not no it was not but as far as they're not being i stand with elaine from seinfeld on that one okay but as far as they're not being like an army of eberts or whatever i mean i'm not knocking ebert at all you know i grew up in chicago he was my critic right but you're like you're saying it's like a different school of critic and everything like that i think that that might be why there is a shift, but I, I think that it's completely valid to say, like, okay, now there are more voices. Now, yeah. you know, there are uh, different people reviewing these things, and even if they don't have a national newspaper behind them, they can still make well, their let, voices let's not, heard. Let, let's not, let's not, con- I, I'm all for diversity of opinion. Sure. I'm not, I'm not coming down on that. What I'm saying is that the reason that, you know, to, to keep pushing it farther, the reason that, say, a Marvel film 
on average, gets a 93% positive is because the majority of critics basically grew up with Marvel films. And so they're predisposed to loving them. Well, that could be part right? of it. And that is, that is a different landscape than existed before. Because in the landscape that, as I saw it, critics were not in danger of being franchise fans or the like. Now, I'm not saying that that invalidates anybody's opinion. Everybody, there are many layers to everybody's opinion about everything. I know this. I get it. I understand. But I'm just saying that we've entered an era where criticism is not, doesn't typically contain, from my observations, the same sort of detached or attempt at detachment that previous criticism did. Okay, but by that philosophy then... All of these mm-hmm. Star Wars fans who grew up with Star Wars should be predisposed to liking The Last Jedi, right? They sure should. So. They should. So I'm, I'm not sure that So, that... Now, now, yes, all of these fans that were predisposed, and the thing is, The Last Jedi in specific, Ryan Johnson himself said that good art means that half the people hate it. So he got what he wanted. So that's cool. And that's true. But like. I, I agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. No artist, no artist makes anything with the intention of having it be disliked. Every artist want do you I mean I don't think that that's do you, what he's do saying. Do you think that what he's saying is that if if your art is saying something, mm-hmm. it's going to push buttons and people are going to be mad about it. That's and I think that's nonsense as I, as art I theory. I think that that's perfectly valid and and reasonable and I agree with it. You know, no, I I, th- I, I, th- I think that is complete nonsense as art theory. It could, it could be, a, you could say that it pushes buttons and therefore there are people for whom it might not resonate or something like that. There were people who hated Picasso, right? But Picasso did not make a painting. Picasso didn't go through his blue period. Picasso did not become, you know, the, the, the foremost recognized cubist because he said, yeah, Everybody's going to hate. No, he made the art and he was comfortable with the idea of people disliking it. He did not make it and say that he was expecting people to dislike it. He was simply an art. Like there's, there's a, there, I think there's a very important distinction between being comfortable with the idea of people disliking it and saying it's inevitable that people are going to dislike it. Well, I mean, I think it's it's a very fine line there, and I think they're basically saying the same thing. But, I mean, I, I think that, you know, Johnson's point that he's trying to make is if you're going to be challenging people, you're going to make people mad because they don't want to be challenged. And some people are... I mm. And, and I, I think that that's valid. I think that there's I, I but but the thing is I think it's a much smaller segment of the populace than it, yes there are people who don't like change who don't like being challenged absolutely completely concede that point but it is not as large a percentage of the potential audience as that statement would indicate okay all right I guess it depends on the subject matter too, but 
Sure. I mean, I, I sure. I mean, I, I guess he, he's made knives out and is looking forward to half of the people disliking it because he's pushing buttons. But the thing is, my point isn't about Johnson and the last Jedi. It's about this. I'm sort of fascinated by the idea of people reacting uh, because the critics liked it or because the critics disliked it or, you know, that, that sort of distinction because like, I don't, I legitimately don't, I'm continually trying to understand that because there are people, there have to be people that love and adore Forrest Gump and also love and adore Magnolia. Right. Yeah. And I'm pushing with that because that that would speak more to the idea of shouldn't the the reaction be completely separated from the critical reaction, you know, and why do we let it be a part of our reaction? I, I think we just can't help it because we're we're when we're watching things, we're thinking of things like counter arguments and stuff like that. We're thinking about, you know, how we got to the theater in the first place, you know? If if I go see Midsummer this week and mm-hmm. I have read all of the reviews and heard Jordan Peele talk about how it's one of the best horror movies ever made and it doesn't work for me, I'm going to really kind of like go in the other direction with that and say like he's wrong even though it might be just okay. You know, I mean, that that's something that happens. Whether or not it should happen, it's something that does happen. I can, See, I can see that point. Um, I think that definitely plays into expectation. I mean, you know, just to stay within the Star Wars realm, I think that the, the negative reaction to episode one was as strong as it was because people had an, an expectation level. And reading something from a director you respect as saying this is the greatest x y or z that you're going to see i can completely understand why the reaction would be set for you to you know initially come back a little bit harder against something i could understand that but i do i don't know i just i i just wonder is there a way for us to get away from that place and is it just keeping a review embargo until a week after the movie has come out? Yeah, I mean, that could be the way to do it. Anyway, well, should we move on to July 8th? Let's let's move on to July 8th. Okay, sure. Okay, there were two movies that came out July 8th. Both were very small, so small that I can't even find box office information on them. Uh, one of them I had never heard of before, and it didn't have any ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. And that's a documentary called Sex, Drugs, and Democracy. Yes. Which is about how in Holland there are very few laws regarding things like prostitution and um, drug use and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, everyone seems to be cool with that because... In a lot of people's minds, those are victimless crimes, and, uh, you know, people should just be allowed to do their own thing. That's a very libertarian view, yeah. Yeah, so I haven't I haven't seen it. Have you seen it? No, I saw the, the trailer. It didn't strike me as something particularly worth seeing, but I did. I, you know, it looked cool to me, um, but I 
didn't find it, didn't watch it. I was busy watching yeah. Forrest Gump. So, yeah. Oh, oh well. The other movie that came out this week is a movie called Go Fish, uh, which I couldn't find any box office info on, but it received an 82% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and this is a movie which I had heard about for a very long time but had never seen. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, about a woman in particular who is living in Chicago and her, I don't know, relationship to the lesbian community in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Did you see this? I did not. Uh, the The trailer didn't really... The, the indie explosion in the 90s, this trailer, I know back then, I, I would have said this, yeah, looks like maybe a video sort of thing, like the production quality. Yeah. Um, but I, like, I have a... I, it, I could be inventing the memory, but I have a faint memory of at least having heard about this at the time, you know, like somewhere in the college communities, you know, that this film was being talked about. Yeah, it was a pretty big deal. It was a movie. It was only made for $15,000, but it ended up grossing like a couple million. I mean, it was a pretty big success and, and it was a, something which went around the festival circuit for quite a while. And actually the people involved with it uh, went on, even though they had no money at the time, they went on to have very, uh, I mean, pretty impressive careers. Uh, Guinevere Turner, who wrote it and stars in it, she would go on to write things like American Psycho and mm -hmm. uh, the notorious Petty Page, and things like that. And for some reason, uh, Uwe Boll's Blood Rain. <laughs> I don't know why. why wouldn't you write it, Mike? I don't know. You know, um, but uh, and then the director, uh, whose name escapes me, she went on to do a lot of TV stuff. Um, pretty much every. I mean, still to this day, she's directing like every television show. So, you know. That's that's kind of cool. Um, but, you know, I, it was always on my radar because I was such a big Kevin Smith fan. And at the time, of course, Kevin Smith's movie came out same year, Clerks, and the festival circuit being what it is, these two movies sort of made the rounds together. And since they were both movies made for, you know, a few thousand dollars shot on black and white 16 millimeter film, you know, they were kind of bunched together a lot of times. And mm -hmm. because of that, uh, the filmmakers from the two movies became friends because they kept on hanging out, you know, going from festival to festival. And um, Gwen Turner, Gwen, Guinevere Turner in particular, became friends with the, the Kevin Smith crowd. And in Mallrats, uh, one of the characters, Joey Lauren Adams' character is named Gwen Turner. She shows up in Chasing Amy and Dogma in bit roles. And mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the idea, the premise of Chasing Amy comes from real life. Scott Mosier, the producer of Clerks, 
had a huge crush on Guinevere Turner, who he knew from watching Go Fish, was not at all interested in him. But Mm -hmm. that didn't stop him from, you know, pining for her. And uh, Smith thought that was an interesting premise for a romantic comedy and turned it into Chasing Amy. So there you go. Um, but that's pretty great. Yeah. So, I mean, because of all that stuff, you know, it's just like, of course I, I want to see this movie, you know, and not to mention the fact that, you know, I mean, I, I, I like American psycho, but I, I love the notorious Betty page. That movie is awesome. I've and, never seen the notorious Betty page, but I love American psycho. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, notorious Betty page is from the writers and director of American psycho. So check that Ooh, out i might have to see that then it's really good uh, gretchen mall plays betty page and she's fantastic and you know huh. it's it's, just, right. it's great i don't know I, I was a huge betty page fan when when i was in high school so you know and it was it, it's just great i highly cool. recommend it it's very fun right. so way more fun than american psycho believe it or not i don't know american <laughs> psycho is pretty fun mike but know. maybe that says something about me i don't know <laughs> Maybe. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, I watched this movie because it's on Tubi. That's the only place that I could find it. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, you can watch it for free. The video quality is really, really bad. But I guess that's to be expected anyway, given the the subject matter and the medium and all that stuff. Um, it's, we, it's a weird movie. I don't necessarily think that it's good because you can tell that it was made by amateurs who sort of had some really good ideas about making movies but didn't quite know how to execute them. I mean, for mm-hmm. one thing, I mean, you you can totally draw comparisons to Clerks. You know, like a bunch of people who are not professionals making the, making these movies. And, like, you think the acting in Clerks is bad? Oh my God! The acting in <laughs> Go Fish is terrible, with the exception of Turner, who is you know really good, and that's why she has continued to act over the years. Of course, um, the writing I, I thought was good. I mean, one of the things which which really strikes me about you know the script and the movie in general is just it's completely sort of honest and everyday portrayal of the gay community, specifically the lesbian community, and also in Chicago, by the way, which was cool because, you know, they just shot it on the streets, you know, up by like Clark Mm -hmm. and Belmont. There's a scene in a comic book store, which I'm 99% positive is Chicago comics and everything. And like that stuff is all really cool, but it was just... It's so, you know, unlike something like Chasing Amy, which you can tell is made by a complete outsider who has no idea what reality is, this is feels super duper realistic to the point that, like, it's not even really being called out. It's just existing, you know? Mm-hmm. And that is such a, a rare thing to find in 1994. So that was really cool. I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a very interesting look at, at that community. And like, there's even like a whole thing where they say at the beginning is just kind of like a throwaway thing where they're like trying to, to list like, 
people who they think were lesbians, like throughout history. And someone stops and says, like, we can't prove this. Why does it even matter? And uh, the teacher of this class is like, well, that's a good question. The reason why it matters is because, you know, basically up until now, um, people from this community have not been allowed to tell their stories publicly. So you got to sort of like seek out that stuff to figure out what it was that was going on, you know, with that culture prior yeah. to this, you know, and that's like here you're, you're seeing it and, and that that's like super cool, but it's not like told well. And like, like the direction, like they're trying some stuff, which is like really out there. Like there's these weird transitional things. There's these weird, like sort of, um, uh, interstitial things and Mm -hmm. you can see what they're going for and you can see how like when they were thinking this up they were like this is going to be a great idea this is really going to work but then when you put it all together with no money um, a lot of people who have never done this before and actors who cannot act to save their lives the end result is so film school so bad film school that it's just almost unwatchable, you know? So I would say that this is not a good movie, but I can definitely see like the structure of a good movie there. And I can see why all of these people who made it have gone on to do good movies since then. So there you go. That's cool. go fish. No, um, yeah. I, that, it's too bad it's not a Disney movie because they could just remake it now because it's been 25 years. <laughs> they could. They could. And, you know, maybe. For maybe, all we know, maybe. Disney owns this movie now. Uh, you know? They could. It's possible. Yeah, yeah. I think if I'm not mistaken, I know this is completely taking a joke into territory that nobody cares about. But if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> it's owned by MGM, which at this point means it's owned by United Artists because right. MGM, Orion Pictures, which is back and Annapurna have all fused together into United Artists releasing. Orion Pictures coming back is always going to mess with my head mm-hmm. because I'm happy it is because when I used to see that Orion logo spin up in the beginning, oh yeah, I loved it, man. That was my favorite movie logo to see coming up because it always, you know, like Orion was always, it was like that, not necessarily a full step, but at least a half a step above like Canon picture, you know, like yeah. it was like Gollum and Globus, if they knew what they were doing and it's right. like, all right, I'm on board for this. Yeah. You know, works. And it's like, usually you get things like child's play, but every once in a while they're like, ah, uh, here's silence of the lambs, you know, or, or here, RoboCop. RoboCop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And then, I, and then sometimes there's RoboCop too. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, RoboCop too probably better than robocop one but oh, whatever God, God, anyway. come on man come on man no, that's a whole we could do a whole other podcast about that and not just an episode that could be like a whole season of a podcast yeah 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 anyway um so yeah so that's the week uh i i know forrest gump is the movie for you yeah um for me i mean i guess forrest gump is better than go fish so yeah watch forrest gump but Take the week off, rewatch whatever came out last week. I forget what that was, but watch Forrest Gump. Okay, watch that. Yeah. All right. Well, next week uh, we've got uh, a number of movies coming out. Uh, 
very interesting mix of movies. There's a movie called L.627, Chow Professors, Mi Vida Loca, mm-hmm. Spanking the Monkey, mm. Angels in the Outfield, Aha. and True Lies. I think, all right, I know <laughs> one of them is a guaranteed rewatch. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually, I mean, after watching the trailers, there's one, two, three, there's four movies this week, which I want to watch. There's one that in specific, I remember hearing good things about and reading good things about that I want to check out. Yeah. Um, And there's one that I feel obligated to check out just because I've always been fascinated by the trajectory that it, that the outside merchandising took after it was uh after it was done anyway we have all these movies to look forward to it's pretty exciting week next week I'm it just, is I'm, I'm i'm ready i'm ready but i don't know where i'm going to find the time to watch all these movies so in the meantime john where can people find you on the internet Oh, my name on the internet is Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd, Goodreads, uh, at my blog, KesselJunkie.com, and Lurking on Twitter. Uh, and you can find me right here on the network co-hosting a Star Wars show for the nerd party called Aggressive Negotiations. And where can people find you, Mike? Well, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me uh, doing a show called Film Damage on filmdamagepod.com. We'll get back to that eventually, but I got a lot of stuff going on. I know it seems like this is the only show that I'm doing right now, but it's <laughs> not. I'm recording a whole other series, and I've started recording another whole other series. So I'm doing like four podcasts now, even though there's only one coming out. So you know what? Enjoy the the lack of me while you can. You're stockpiling. That's exactly what I'm doing. There is there is a storm of Schindler coming. It's coming. Yeah. <laughs> but until then, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it for today. So yeah. Uh, until next week, be kind. Rewind. Rewind.